Welcome to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We have a treat with us today. Oh my goodness. We have Dr. Vanike. My God, she is amazing and is going to be dropping some amazing gems on us today. Talking of overcoming, she'll be speaking about getting over traumas. How do you do that? And talking from her own personal experience. Certainly, Dr. Fanike is an expert in her field. Welcome to Purifying Truths, Doctor. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. It is a pleasure. You are an author. You are a trauma therapist. You're a coach. You're a consultant. With all of that, I'd like you to share how you got into doing so many things. <laughs> so I'm a extremely free spirited person. I try to not put myself in a box. I think sometimes we limit ourselves because we are so big on trying to define ourselves by one thing or it has to be this. You know, you have to figure out your dream and what it is that you want to do and what is it that you're meant to do and just do that one thing. But we're not really built like that. We have so many different parts to ourselves and aspirations. And I don't really feel like you have to mute or disregard any of them. I feel like you can find a way to pursue them. You can be completely happy. <laughs> I'm great at all of those things. And so I don't really feel the need to just define myself using one. Yes. And so I use all of them. Amazing. Amazing. And I left out a few. You're a doctor <laughs> of behavioral health, but you're also a clinical social worker and mm -hmm. a master Reiki um, practitioner. So you're a healer as well. What caused you to go that route? Because I can kind of see the behavioral health and the clinical social worker, right? In society, mm -hmm. that's kind of something that we do, right? But the Reiki is a little taboo. So let's start there. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with that? Um, so I actually got introduced to Reiki when I was going through my own healing process. A friend of mine was like, hey, I think you need to do some energy work just because of everything that's happening. And I was like, okay, I was familiar with energy work and energy just in general, right? So we know that everything is energy. Energy is in everything, including us. And so the thing about doing energy work, it's allowing or helping your energy to flow and flow in a positive state. And so when people say, hey, you know, do some energy work, it's about tapping into your energy points or your chakras. Your energy points or your chakras are really the ways in which we're connected to one another. So you talk about everyone says good vibes only or managing their vibration or the vibration of someone else. All of that is connected to those energy points. So the purpose of Reiki is to help to keep those energy points flowing in a positive uh, way, right? To kind of cleanse any negative energy to help with making sure that we are just operating to our fullest and that we're open and that we're receptive and that we're able to flow. It certainly isn't a traditional way of doing things, healing and helping others heal, not just 
one part, but holistically. And so understand that you have the education to back you, but you also have life experience that has taught you a few things and you've overcome some traumas of your own. So doc, would Mm -hmm. you please share with us the things that you've overcome and how? So for myself, the trauma for me started in childhood. And so from domestic violence, so uh, between my mom and my dad, dad was very abusive towards my mom, even though he didn't live with us. Um, he was physically and verbally and emotionally abusive towards her. It wasn't always like that, but it became that later on. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So in the 80s, when the crack epidemic was just out of control. And so with that came a lot of crime and violence. So witnessing certain things or being exposed to certain things by uh, living in that area. The first time I saw someone murdered uh, in front of me, I was four years old looking out the window. And I vividly remember that. And then from there, losing my dad. So my dad passed away after threatening to come back and kill my mom in front of me. He had a heart attack. So all of this happened by the age of six. And so I had a typical mom that didn't necessarily subscribe to the concept of therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there was no therapy. There was a lot of exposure. There was a lot of occurrences of things that impacted us in a negative way, but there wasn't any therapy. There was no processing. There was no, let's deal with this. Let's talk about this. Let's go to someone. And so that was me carrying that into adulthood. And those things started to show up, or at least the remnants of them. Um, And especially, I would say my father dying and seeing the domestic violence, witnessing the murder led to things like being just hyper paranoid. I have difficulty sleeping. Like if I hear like a sound, it can be like anything. Like it can be like some water coming on. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. So I sleep very, very lightly. Just never really being able to relax. I think I realized that maybe in my 20s, almost 30s, that my shoulders were like always tense Mm -hmm. and I had difficulty relaxing. And I think a lot of that comes from that time period in my life. With my father passing, I had a lot of abandonment issues. And so my abandonment issues manifested themselves where I would abandon other people very easily before they could abandon me. And just having difficulty with relationships and allowing myself to really be in that space and be open to the possibilities in that space. From, I would say, the domestic violence, I became very aggressive in my relationships and had trouble with trusting other people. All of this stuff shaped the way in which I responded to other people, but I think more so just always being in a protective nature, like with myself and never really letting my guard down. 
for a very, very, very long time. It wasn't until I hit my like mid thirties where I decided that I wanted to work on those things. And I became very protective of my mom and just became a person that always took care of everybody else. And then when I hit my thirties, I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. But it had already showed up in like my relationships. It had already showed up in the way in which I interacted with other people. And then I became resentful because I had sacrificed so much just trying to take care of other people. I didn't want to do that anymore. Going through my own process, which I tried to do therapy, how I got introduced to Reiki was me actually receiving Reiki myself. Uh, for my own healing. I went to like a acupuncturist. I had a business coach. I was going to yoga. I was boxing. I was doing all of these things and they were working, but I was like so tired and it was so expensive (laughs) doing all those things. When I went through my process, I decided that I wanted to make sure that when I did the work that I did, I would be able to provide that holistic approach to my clients. In doing all of those things, I realized that it was effective. It was working, but it was it was a lot. And I made the decision that when I worked with my clients, I wanted to have all of those pieces in place. And I wanted to work with them from a holistic perspective to the point of they wouldn't have to go to multiple providers like I did. So that kind of triggered me to say, okay, this is the kind of provider that I want to be. I started putting those pieces in place. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Um, Man, Brooklyn. Oh my God. In the 80s. When we look at that era, it's like, what good comes out of Brooklyn, right? You're not a basketball (laughs) player. You're not a, a rapper, a doctor. Came out of Brooklyn, looking at how society puts us in that box, per se, like you talked about Mm -hmm. already. Certainly, I'm from that age as well. And when you're talking about childhood traumas, I just kind of wanted to dive in a little bit because you've been through a lot. And I can only imagine at the age of four, seeing a murder. I mean, many Mm -hmm. of us go our whole lives without having to experience that trauma. So... You, you get through all of trauma after trauma after trauma. And yet here you are today and you're helping others. That is honorable. I just cannot fathom how you were able to get through it, especially when you had so many negative exposures with no therapy and no help. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. There was something on the inside that kept you pushing, that kept you going. I get that you were doing the boxing, you're doing the yoga, you know, you introduced to the Reiki and you're doing all the things. Why didn't you give up like so Mm -hmm. many do? So I I don't, I don't think it was ever an option. Also, I was very clear at a young age. um, I think I had a lot of self-awareness from Mm -hmm. the time I was really young. So, you know, at nine years old, I stopped eating red meat. And, you know, let my mom know, like, I'm not eating red meat anymore. And I only want to eat chicken and fish. And she was like, okay, I think 
because of my environment and in my household, we we weren't really treated as children per se. There were things that I probably was doing at a younger age than I know definitely my children <laughs> have had to do at their age. For me, it was it wasn't really an option to to give up. I didn't I never had the option to curl up and say I I can't do this. My mom really wasn't that kind of parent. She didn't really have that that level of um hmm <laughs> I I think the word is going to be uh nurturing. Uh-huh. So a lot of what happened for us and to us had to come from us. Yeah, it wasn't an option. I left New York at 17 and moved to Georgia and went to college. And I remember, you know, at one point feeling like this is hard. It was a lot to manage because I had to work and go to school. And I remember calling my mom, like, I think I want to move back home. And she was like, no, you cannot move back home. (laughs) And I remember her saying, move back home for what? And I couldn't really give her an answer, but she was like, no, you stay there you figure it out. And I did. It was, it was very tough. I think because my mother endured traumas as well, just throughout her life. And I think my mom's approach was, you don't have time for, there's no time for folding. There's no time for weakness. Something has to be done. You get up and you do it. There's no time for you to lay up and just cry and feel sorry for yourself. She's never sent us the message that you don't keep going, which I think can be traumatic in its own right. But whatever you like, whatever it is and whatever, whatever you decide to do, you have to keep going. You keep going, you keep going until you get to where it is that you need to be. It was very tough. Um, She's a tough lady. You know, still, <laughs> she's a tough lady. But I think that, you know, out of her came me and my sister. And we're both entrepreneurs. We're both very strong, which I think can be positive and it has its positives and negatives. Mm-hmm. But we never... None of my mother's children have ever had to go back home. None of my mother's children have ever had to depend on others to care for them. None of us have ever just been in that space of not being able to get back up. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we had a mom that said that it's not an option. Like you got to get back up. You, you, You don't have a choice. I think while it was tough, it was also very key in just shaping who we have become and our outcomes, creating our lives in the way in which we just manage the day-to-days of just things that happen. I believe that that's powerful and I can relate on so many different levels. As I too had that mother that didn't give up and taught me that whatever it is, you know, you roll with the punches and you keep on going. You don't have the option Mm -hmm. to to have that pity party. So I can relate where you're coming from there. But when you're from up north, such as you and I are, many times people think that you have a chip on your shoulder 
or sometimes that you're rude. That's just that New mm-hmm. York attitude. That's how people up north are. But mm-hmm. you unfolded the fact that the remnants of what you went through or what we mm-hmm. go through carry over into our adult life. And many times we don't even realize it. That's all we right. know. Mm-hmm. So as you talked about difficulty relaxing, I know so many can relate with that. Abandonment issues, the stress that you're carrying in your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Many of us deal with that. How did you realize that that's what you were doing? Because many of us, we've been doing it so long. It's natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I have a huge self-awareness that a lot of people don't have. I'm constantly like scanning myself. How am I feeling? Like I've learned to just go with it when I'm in a bad mood. I try not to just, oh, well, girl, don't be in a bad mood. You need to smile and act like everything's okay. But if that's not how I'm feeling, it's just not how I'm feeling. But I'm always aware I'm feeling funky today or <laughs> you know, something's going on. But I do the same thing with my body, just my physical. So I'm constantly scanning myself. And that's also, that's a part of Reiki. Um, it's a practice of Reiki, but it, it's something I've been doing for a while. So as a young girl, I was diagnosing myself. And so uh, that's definitely, I think, one of my gifts and one of my powers is to be able to read myself, but also be able to read other people because I'm, I just, I think I have a huge awareness and a huge emotional intelligence that most people don't have. I agree that it is a gift. Doctor, why are we not all scanning ourselves? We can see how it's good for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thing is that we're not always taught to be self-aware. We're not always taught to look at ourselves first because I think that's where it starts. We are not always taught to, to take those looks at ourselves. The thing is that when you look at yourself, there's things that you don't necessarily like as well. <laughs> there's things that you like, but then there's also things that you don't like. And so you have to be open to seeing and receiving all of it. It can't be just receiving the quote unquote things that you like. All of it comes with you. All of it makes you who you are, period. So I think to start off for me, it helps me to get real quiet. I have a low bandwidth for like social media. I can get on Instagram and like scroll and watch videos, uh, stuff like that. But like the interaction, a lot of times on like Facebook, um, it becomes a lot for me because there's a lot of words on Facebook. Instagram is like videos. I, you know, I can handle that. But I think that we spend a lot of time looking outward. We spend a lot of time focusing on what's going on in other people's lives. We spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other people. And that stops us from doing the work that we need to do of being introspective. Mm -hmm. And so one thing or one way to just kind of get started on that journey is to either limit your time of interacting with other people or being on social media or whatever the case may be. Or designate an hour to two hours a day where it's just you and you are getting to know you and you're learning who you are and you're having those conversations with yourself. You're looking at yourself in the mirror and really looking at yourself, looking at your eyes, looking at your 
cheeks, like looking at all of you and becoming familiar with who you are and then just spending that quality time by yourself. I think that is a good place to start because a lot of us, we don't do that. Our lives are inundated with other people's lives. There's no way that you can hear yourself and really tap into who you are if you're so focused on other people. That's so true and so powerful. Be quiet. Get quiet. Mm-hmm. It's such a right. noisy, noisy world. Spend more time not comparing, not looking at others, because many times we'll take on the weight that they're going through, you know, mm-hmm. the dramas and the dramas that they're caught up in. We too right. get caught up in it. I can appreciate that you're given that advice to spend more time looking inward and less time mm-hmm. outward. And that you said in front of a mirror, please explain the importance Mm -hmm. of actually looking at yourself in the Mm -hmm. mirror and getting to know yourself. Yeah, definitely. That breeds self-acceptance and self-awareness. I remember working with a former client and she had never looked at herself. And when (laughs) so I had her do it and she's like, it's so weird. And I was like, to look at yourself? She was like, yeah. I don't feel like we're taught that like our everyday after I wash my face is just looking at myself. I just look at myself. I'm looking at my physical features as well, but I'm also just looking at myself and I might say something to myself like, oh, I love you or I'm so proud of you or, you know, whatever the case may be while I'm looking in the mirror. But I think it's super important because the eyes, um, they say, are the gateway to the soul of a person. Mm -hmm. When you can look at yourself, look into your own soul, (laughs) look into your own eyes, I think that's extremely powerful. What do you see? I remember another client, so I would have her do the same exercise. When she finally did it, she cried so much. She was holding so much and being able to see herself helped her to kind of release some of that. So I think we do a lot of time hiding and avoiding Mm -hmm. Um, what's happening to us. That's a good way to get us to really get in tune with what it is that we're suppressing and trying to hold back on. I can speak from personal experience, Doc. There were times that I did not want to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Many of us have had some sort of trauma. With mine, I don't know my biological father. And Mm -hmm. then I had a narcissistic demon in my life that was Mm -hmm. constantly reminding me that I'm nothing and I don't know where I come from and Mm -hmm. this and that. And my family was from Brooklyn as well. And so I would wash my face. I would put on my makeup and the real me, I would seldom see. I would Mm -hmm. put on the face or the mask that I'm going to present to the public. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that real me. And it took years before I Mm -hmm. built courage. And I tell you, it is the most liberating thing that one can do. Because Mm -hmm. as I wash my face, my eyes are not closed. I can Mm -hmm. look at me. And you know, Mary J got that song, Good Morning Gorgeous. And Mm -hmm. so I tell myself, Good Morning Gorgeous. And Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. so important that we affirm ourselves. I had a guest on not too long ago that was explaining the importance of clapping for yourself. You sacrificed, didn't give up and go back home so that you're now able to help others. And that right there speaks volumes. 
even mm-hmm. though it seems simple, but just looking at yourself, getting to know yourself. Who mm-hmm. am I? Not who do right. others think I am, but mm-hmm. and exactly. who do I like? What don't I like? Those things are powerful and liberating beyond what words can explain. So mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up and sharing that with us. I want to move in a little different direction. You are a author. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please, please. Um, I know the name of your book sounds a little risque. How in the world did you come up with the title? What inspired mm-hmm. you to write it? Yeah, so um, the title of my book is uh, What the F is Your Problem? Becoming an Active Worker in Healing Your Trauma. The title of the book actually came about, honestly, like my husband and I, we had went somewhere. I don't even remember where we were, maybe the grocery store. I don't remember. And when we came out the store, we like sat in the parking lot and we're kind of like looking at people walk by and we were seeing a lot of black women pass by. We started to have like commentary about it. She looked like, you know, somebody stole her dog or dad. She looked like somebody, you know, whatever, whatever. And at first it was like funny. And then, you know, as a lot of our conversations do, then it got into something serious. Actually, you know, women, especially black women, carry so much and there's so much pain and there's so much hurt. That's what is on her face. That's what we're seeing. And when I got home, I know exactly what to call my book because we're, as we're looking at them, we're like, Dag, what the F is her problem? Mm-hmm. And so when I got home, I was like, I know exactly what I want to call my book. And it's going to be what the F. At first it was what the F is her problem. Then it became what the F is your problem. But yeah, that's that's how the title was born. You bring up a very poignant point. We look at people. We only see the problem. Mm-hmm. How do we take the time to dig in to see why? What's the backstory? Right. We're so judgmental as far as a society. And so Mm -hmm. as you were speaking, you were talking about how you were looking at people, but mostly females and then mostly Mm -hmm. black females, which we both are. And Mm -hmm. it brings to mind Malcolm X and how he described us. And what he said was the most disrespected person in America is the black Mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. Mm-hmm. And also the most neglected person in America is the black woman. Mm-hmm. So I commend you for shining a light on us and not just bringing it to the forefront, but doing something to help, to change, to make a difference as not just writing, but as you're doing your work, as you're coaching and consulting and healing, I thank Mm -hmm. you for that. Truly is honorable and much needed. Thank you. Definitely. Where can we get this book? The book is available everywhere on um, all major retailers. So Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, all those places. If readers want a signed copy, they can go to drfanike.com and order it from there. I will sign the book, uh, write a lovely note, and then send the book to them. Those are the best ways to get it. If they have like any questions or they want to like touch base with me, the best way to do so is on Instagram at Dr. Fenike. I can also be reached on LinkedIn. So those are the best ways to get in contact with me. 
Amazing, amazing. And certainly we are going to reach out to you and keep in touch with you. Forgive my ignorance, but I'm assuming that there are some in my audience that may not know how to spell Fanike. <laughs> so please spell it out so that they will know exactly how to get in touch. Yeah, no worries. Uh, D D R F as in Frank, A-N as in Nancy, I-K-E. Um, so that's D-R-F-A-N-I-K-E. Can get your book on Instagram and such. You even giving out signed copies. And so what if we wanted to connect with you for any type of consulting? Would we go to your website as well? Yeah, so same thing. So you can go to my website for anyone that is going to uh, connect any further. It has been an honor and a privilege to have you on Purifying Truths. I thank you so much for your words of wisdom and opening our eyes. Thank you for what you do to illuminate the world, Doc. Thank you so much for having me again. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A-Star. You too can connect with A-Star. Instagram and Facebook at Facets of A-Star. Tune in every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for exciting new guests who illuminate the world and the various facets of life.